really based out of real life and out of my life, um, understanding that all of us go through dark room experiences, right? And we go through dark places, and this is going to culminate was developed Sunday with the darkest room known to mankind, the tomb. And in that room, something amazing was developed called salvation, which we're allowed to experience today. And we're sharing stories, you know, folks, dark room experiences that are so real. And the thing is, we've all experienced dark places. We've all walked through dark places. But the thing is this, God is trying to develop something beautiful in these places. You saw that last week he helped to develop a music stand. No, he helped to, <laughs> whoa, that's awesome. Let me just slide this over there. You guys did an awesome job cleaning the stage so I could walk. I just, I wanted to make sure I could make this. Belief, last week, last week he developed belief within our lives because we're surrounded in so many ways by disbelief right? We talked about disbelief, and it's something that starts with belief, right? Then moves to something like unbelief or or misbelief, and then we find ourselves at a place called disbelief, and that's the point at which your mind just cannot get past it. Have you ever felt that? You ever felt that kind of thing where you're like, I just don't get it, right? My mind can't get past this event or what has happened to me or whatever. That's where we find ourselves sometimes in our faith with God, Something has happened that has been so big, so detrimental that we just can't get past it. But God developed in that dark room with an understanding of Jairus with his daughter who was gone, brought life. Jesus brought life to her. He's brought belief back to us as well. So today we find ourselves at the second step on the journey in the dark room. And we find ourselves uh, again in that, that waiting room place, that place where we feel like you know, things can kind of be up in the air. And it's funny, just in one week's time, how, how our beliefs can be attacked again. Did you find that? If you listened to the sermon last week or maybe in between, one day later, belief and understanding can be attacked. Why? Because we have an adversary. From the very beginning of time, okay, we have had this adversary in our lives and all of our human lives that has sought to completely destroy the work of God in your life, who has sought to completely destroy, right, everything in the dark room so that it could not be developed into what God has for you. And we see there's another way that he does this and something we're going to talk about today called deceit, okay, deceit. Now, the thing is with deceit, it's kind of a place that he takes us to, and I'm going to define this, but also a lie, because really it's about lies, but deceit is such a major component of this thing, okay, today, this darkroom experience that we're going to go through. So let's, let's first look at a lie, okay, a lie, and it's like, I would like to lie down now and take a long nap. I would like to as well, but there's more definitions. And you can read what you're on your screen with me in your mind. Don't read aloud because I could get awkward really quick, okay? But to make an untrue statement with intent to deceive, okay? To make an untrue statement with intent to deceive. Also, to create a false or misleading impression. Does this sound like the MO of the enemy in your life? His desire is to make an untrue statement basically true. That's what he wants to do for you. He wants you to believe this lie enough that it becomes truth for you. This is real stuff here. This is where we all struggle. This is real life stories here. Because this is what he does. He's, 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 he's amazing at this thing called deceit. The act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. So he takes a lie. This is what he is. He's the father of lies. 
You see in the debut how he came onto the scene. He was really questioning God and all of who he was and, and mankind and all these things. He comes on the scene with deceit. And what he does is he takes something that was true and turns it to a lie and then tries to make a lie truth through deceit. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I don't know about you, but this is like my life. This is, should be really, honestly, an identification point for all of us that this is life. Okay, so today what we're going to do is come out of the book of John. Now, a little context of who John is. Remember the beloved Jesus, one of his closest friends and disciples. Um, part of that's, that, that's so unique about John is what he tried to prove, and it was proving um, that this was undeniably God's son and that he was the Messiah. This was so important for John, and you see it in his writings, so much so that he made sure that we had miracles that people could see and identify with and that we could understand that this guy is the Messiah. This is the hope that we have. This is the one that we've looked for, okay? But he's in a time that is steeped in Jewish tradition and the law. Now, we know about the original law. There was just about 10 of those things, right? But then all of a sudden, mankind got a hold of this thing and added all kinds of stuff on top of it so that no one could be a good Jew. That's what it looked like. Nobody was good enough to be close to God anymore. So we see Jesus step onto the scene at this point in history when he's trying to not abolish it, but fulfill this law and simplify things. Remember, that's what we do as a church. Love God, love people. Why? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. He simplified these things. I love this. Simplification. You know, for me, I like to build stuff. Anybody else like to build stuff with your hands or maybe? You know, I love things that are square rectangular or things like that. You know why? They go together easy. It's more, it's, it's more simple for me. I like to watch tiny house stuff. Anybody else like to do that? Well, this one guy, when he builds stuff on tiny house, I'm like, bro, that's too many angles for me. I'm be like, I'm out. How are you going to build a stair? Right up the wall, just like this. Not a little turnstile stair with a table that comes out and then a thing in here. And I'm just like, bro, you... But you think about it when it comes to the gospel and the good news message. So often people are like... Because for so long, people have taken something that was supposed to be simple and have complicated it. So you see Jesus showing up on the scene in this way, trying to simplify relationship with God. But you see people, Pharisees specifically, that are not wanting him to mess with the system that they've worked so hard to create for so many years. Okay, does that make sense? Good, we're all together. Now, <laughs> this, this dark room, no weird but we see ourselves arrive in the dark room. And this dark room happens to be the Jewish temple. Now, are we talking about church is a dark place? It can be, because you know what happens in a church? People fill it. And what happens to people? They get religious. And when people get religious, they lose relationship. When they lose relationship, they lost sight of who the one they were supposed to be looking to and for for their whole lives. So we see a dark room, a temple, become a dark room. And who is the person that is being developed? None more than Jesus, right? So he's in this. I'm going to set the stage a little bit for you. He's in this place. It's called the woman's court, okay? Literally, the woman's court. The reason for this is because this place was specific in that all people were welcome there, even more so women, Okay, you remember how that was in biblical times, okay? A different context there. So Jesus shows up in the woman court, but he also is standing by the treasury, okay? And he's standing by the treasury where there are boxes that people give to the temple, okay? Some are obligatory, some 
They just give out of heart. They give just because they want to, out of free will. They love to give in this way. So Jesus sets up his pulpit, if you will, right by the treasury because he knows he'll have an audience here. And also, Jesus was validated in this moment by Nicodemus. You see that earlier, a guy that was a devout Jew, okay, who had come up to Jesus saying, I, I want to know more. I want to be a part of this. So what happens is Nicodemus validates Jesus's opportunity to speak at the woman court, okay, by the treasury that also has lights that are there, candles that burn all the time, that were symbolic. This is super cool, okay? That were symbolic of the pillar of fire that led the people of Israel, in the Old Testament. So Jesus has set up in this place. Everything was for a reason that Jesus did everything. It all meant something. So we had an audience of Pharisees, okay, but also Jewish folk, okay? And in my mind, I think, who is he there for most, okay? I always think of who else was in the crowd. You know, I wonder what kind of world changers were there listening that day. And he set up in this place that is symbolic of the beginning of their freedom. Before all this stuff was added to them, all these other laws, just the original God and them relationship, him leading them out of bondage into a place of freedom called the promised land. Isn't this cool? Okay, so then what we do is we start to read, and I love this, okay? We start to read chapter eight, verse 12, when Jesus says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now you see Jesus talking here in front of people that represented religion that quote unquote represented God. And Jesus is saying things like this, that if you follow me, if you become my disciple, you will actually truly have life. So imagine the people that are coming up in there every day, they're, they're giving their dues, they're paying their thing, you know, they're talking to people in the temple. And all of a sudden, this guy gets up. Now, look, Jesus did not spend a lot of time in the temple. Most of the things he did was outside of the temple. So you know this was for a reason. This was important, okay? Because Jesus was speaking to people that were religious and those, I would say religious meaning Pharisee folk, but also people that were religious Jews. And what he was trying to do was this, help them understand this. John wanted us to know that Jesus is the Messiah. So he makes a bold, a bold proclamation of being the light. Now, remember in a dark room, what does it take to develop things properly? Light at the right time, even the right types of light. So Jesus is saying here, there's been all kinds of people that have said they were light throughout your life, but I am the light. He even goes further later on in scripture, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, so this is important for us to keep in mind as context. So now, what I'm going to try and do, now listen, this took a lot for me, so just, just bear with me. We're going to go over chapter 8 a little bit in such a way that it'll make sense and you can walk away with some knowledge, okay, and some understanding. The dark room of Jesus, the dark room of deceit. Okay, are you with me? All right. 
So as we look through chapter eight, I'm not gonna read a whole bunch, but you'll see some things here that are very important. I wanna challenge you to read that on your own later. You look at chapter eight, you see further from 12 on that there are some questions almost right away that are asked of Jesus. Now, he's talking about some major things here that are messing up the religious system. He's talking about being the light of the world. He talks about the coming judgment of man. He's talking about deep stuff here that these religious leaders did not like him talking about, especially in their place called the temple. So he's messing with the system. But we see some things happening here that are so important for us to understand today. And there's some questions that were asked of Jesus that I think are so telling for us today as well. The first question they ask him, this is what they try to do. They would come at him. There was always a battle going on between Jesus and the Pharisees because eventually they wanted to take him down. They wanted to take him out completely. But God held him in place so that he could speak the word for the right time. But they ask questions like this. Where is your father? Because Jesus was talking to them about this heavenly father and talking to them about him standing as a witness. According to Jewish law, you couldn't stand by yourself and be a witness. You had to have somebody that stands with you. And Jesus was saying, I'm here with my father. So all right off the bat, they're just like, oh, you know what? It is on. You are messing with the system, bro. Where is your father? Jesus, can you see him now? Where is your father? You're by yourself. Look at you. Nobody's with you. You don't even have a father. You are by yourself. And these guys are talking about the law, but they're also talking about Abraham as well. And we'll get into that in just a second. Where is your father? He's standing there with his father as a witness. And the second question is this, who are you? Think about this. Do these questions ever plague you as an individual as well? Where is your family? Where is the people that care about you? Where is this guy that you say is so amazing in your life? And who are you? Who are you? And this is how Jesus responds. Verse 25 through 29, true Jesus fashion. Who I've been claiming to be all along. Verse 28 through 29, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always, I always do what pleases him. These questions were so important because what it was doing was setting the stage for the hearers, for those that were there to hear this good news message of Jesus Christ. But it was so hard to have piercing questions that I think pierced the souls of those around as well. Asking, who is my father for real? Who am I for real? For so long, they've been sown seeds of disbelief and doubt as to who they really were. And this one person comes on the scene and is changing everything for the better. And you can see that it was working in this, verse 30. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. So this is when things begin to get real. This is when things begin to get really, really, really real. Tensions are getting high. Tempers are flaring. The Pharisees are so upset they can't see straight. And Jesus is speaking with such a tenacity about things that are so important. And he says some key statements that start with, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. So let's look at these statements for just a moment. The first one is this, John 8, 34 through 39 is the context. He says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins 
is a slave to sin. You're like, oh, what do you mean? Why are you getting on this sin? Just, just listen, bear with me for just a moment. Context, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus was talking about something much deeper than the separation that we have between us and God called sin. Jesus was talking about sons and daughtership. You get this? As Jesus was asked, where's your father? We're asked by the enemy as he tries to sow lies into our life through his deceit. Where's your father? Jesus is showing us here that we are co-heirs of Christ. Jesus is showing us here in front of these Pharisees, but also these people that I think were listening so intently because all they wanted in their lives was a heavenly father. And they knew they couldn't jump through all the hoops and loops to make it that the Jewish faith was presenting at that time. But this guy was giving them hope. I can, you see what I'm saying? I can be a daughter of Christ. Absolutely. That's why I'm speaking in the woman court. You see what I'm saying? So important for us to understand that what he's trying to get us to get to, this place of truth, is that he wants you, regardless of what you've done, to be his son or daughter. And that changes everything. Last couple of weeks, really thought about this a lot more, being a father. And uh, I talked, to especially Aiden, a lot about, because I just want to build a strong man of God. You know, it's, it's important to me. And we were riding in the truck the other day, and I said, uh, buddy, he said, I said, uh, buddy, I love you so much. He's like, I love you too, because we always can tell each other we love, you, love each other. And one of the things he said, I'm just so glad that I have you. Because he, as, as me as a father, it helps him to identify who he is as a son. And when we know who we are as a child of God, it will change the way you see yourself. So that when anybody asks you from the outside, even religious folk, Who's your father? Who are you? You can say, I'm a child of the king. I know my God is real because my Jesus saved me. And he stood up in a place that was very public where he could have died right away. But what he did was he proclaimed this truth that I am a son and daughter of the living God. The lie is this, that your sin has separated you so much from your heavenly father that it has orphaned you. That's the lie. That's what he wants you to believe. But listen to this. The truth is, Jesus came and made a way for us to be a son and daughter of God. I love that. A son and daughter of God. All the Pharisees understood were lies that were given to them. You can't blame them in a lot of ways. Years and years of tradition that was handed down. And to be a good Pharisee, to be a good Jew, you followed these practices but sometimes we have to be willing to, to move away from a place of what we've always known to move to a place of understanding of where God wants to take us. All they knew were these lies, and they were getting really upset. They were talking about being of Abraham. They were talking about understanding who they were in him versus who they needed to be in Christ. He talks about being true children of God. The second thing is this. I tell you the truth, Jesus says again, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Pharisees were like, oh, that's it. That is it. We're talking about sons and fathers and all this stuff. And what happened to Abraham? Jesus. Where's Abraham at now? Jesus. Emphasize the two. It's fun in that way. He's dead. Gone. And you're saying, now you can see them. I mean, seriously, do you see how heated it could get in this context? 
centuries of tradition and one person coming and sowing this truth, what they thought was lies, was messing with the system. Context, the Jews answered him, are we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? (laughs) These guys are pretty brave. He says, I am not possessed by a demon. This is what Jesus is saying. But I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but, I, but <clears throat> there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to judge you. There's an eternal judge that you'll have to deal with. He says, I tell you the truth, obey the word and you will see death. Obey my words. At this they exclaimed, we know that you're demon possessed because Abraham is gone. Are you greater than father Abraham? All they could go back to was the lineage. See, it's as if, and I wanted you to understand this as context as well. Jesus is literally speaking a different language to the Pharisees. They can't hear it. They can't understand it. But he was speaking this language so that others in the room could. Do you see what I'm saying? Because this meant something very specific to other people. So we're talking about obedience Okay, we're talking about obedience. And with obedience comes life, not death. You're saying, what does that mean? Because Jesus was being specific here that if you obey the word, you will never see death. What was he talking about? Spiritual life versus physical life. We know as believers that past this point, there's heaven. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus, heaven is the end result. Hell was not made for mankind, but the devil and demons. God's idea is for you to be with him forever. Therefore, he sent his only begotten son. So with this obedience comes life. They found themselves in a dead religious system at this point, okay, that was not bringing the life and he was challenging them. Listen, I I love Abraham too, but we need to be obedient to the father, not the father we understand in Abraham. He was bringing an understanding that himself, through himself, they would be blessed on earth and in eternity too. So the lie is this, and this is what's so hard because you see Jesus again in the dark room of the temple that is filled with people and people are God's idea. But what he's saying here is, listen, here, here's the lie that you should place your faith in people. How many of you have been hurt by people? Everybody raise your hand. Okay, because you live in a real life where people are turds, okay? And what people think, you cross the threshold of the church, and all of a sudden, let's, let's just say this is the threshold. Okay, you cross, and everybody's like, all the time. That you go in church, and everybody is just so pleasant, so sweet, so loving, free coffee flowing like a chocolate fountain at a wedding. You know, it's just beautiful. It's not that way. What is so hard for us to understand is that people were God's idea, but they're also the enemies too. And he knows, just like if he could pit Adam against Eve like that, he can do the same to us. And so often you're like, what are you saying? Don't trust people? I'm not saying that. But you don't find your identity in those that are around you. You find your identity in him. When you know whose you are, you, know, you find who you are. It changes everything. And Jesus is like, I'm telling you the truth. You find comfort in being Abraham's descendants and this law and all this stuff that's written, but you need to find your identity in me. Isn't that legit? Anybody else excited about the word? I'm just slightly. 
I'm like sweating and stuff and pumped inside. Okay, just me. The truth is place your faith in Jesus. He will sustain you spiritually here, which will lead to eternity there. And now the Pharisees are dropping robes, taking off garments because they're ready to fight. Jesus, you are messing with everything. It's going down for going down. Okay, so he is getting for real on this. And at this point, you see them respond to him with another acid question, a question that burns to the core of Jesus and also would burn to the core of us when they say, who do you think you are? They already asked him, who's your father? Who's your daddy? They already asked him, right? Who are you? They already asked him these kinds of things, but now he says, who do you think you are? Do you see it? The chip on the shoulder? Do you see the tension flaring? Do you see the necks getting red? Do you see the veins on the foreheads popping out? They're like, Jesus, we are going to straight up kill you. Literally. We're done with this. We are done with this. And Jesus responds to this question in such a wonderful, wonderful way. He says this, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. You're like, what does that mean? That's not that significant. What do you mean? I am is a name of God that was so significant to Israel from the beginning because it was attached to a promise. We talked about it about a month and some change ago about the I am, who God is, Yahweh, okay? This is so important because we saw back in Exodus 3.14 when God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Why? Because this name was so significant because it was not even whispered in a way because it was so reverent. So here Jesus is saying to them, I am. Do you think this would wreck the religious system of the day, saying that you were God in flesh? All you've ever known that there was going to be a Messiah, but he's not the one. And you see this guy standing before you saying, I am. To everybody else standing around, maybe to one or two people, I don't know how many people it really meant something to. This meant the world to them. Why? Because it takes us back to the beginning. Picture with me, we did a little bit during worship. Back when you were a kid, for them, back when they were young, when they didn't even know the law yet, when they felt inklings in their heart that someone was in with their life that was bigger to them, when they heard and, and read about you know, mankind before the fall, when the world was sinless and, and man had perfect unity with God, it takes them back to that place. See, the devil does not want this truth to be developed in your life because he wants you to believe that you can never go back. That's what salvation does. Erases that sin of our lives and takes us back to the right place with him. Our worship team is going to come up and we're going to conclude this morning. But I've got a challenge for you. Picture with me, Genesis 3, 1 through 11. We've read this before. But the beginning of deceit. From the very beginning, God has given us a visual. And I want you to do this. Literally close your eyes with me. Don't fall asleep because I know you're tired. I get it. It's, you, you hit the early service. You guys are troopers. But picture this with me. 
put yourself back in the place of perfection in your life and look how the enemy came into the lives of Adam and Eve with the fall. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. You look at him, how he slivers into a situation. And picture that in your mind if your eyes are closed. Picture him slivering into the situation. Adam and Eve in perfect harmony with one another and perfect harmony with God. No interruption in service. Everything was perfect. The world was without sin in this moment. You see him come in crafty, sly, slick. He still does the same thing. And he says this, he sows deceit, which then becomes a lie. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from, excuse me, eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. Deceit. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, again, this deceit. You wonder what else happened in this context, what other deceitful lies he was showing and sharing and giving to her. She took it and ate it. And then she also gave some to her husband, which he took on his own, not her fault. And he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Before, they did not know their, their nakedness. In this moment, you see them trying to cover themselves, and God comes for a stroll through the cool of the day, and the Lord called to man, where are you? The saddest question that's ever been asked to mankind, where are you? Because it represented sin and separation from God. It represents us believing a lie as truth. God wants to develop these lies in your life, this deceit into truth. But the question is, will you let him? If he was to ask you right now, would you feel like that you were naked and ashamed, that you weren't clothed in righteousness whatsoever, but you were separate from him? Why? Because you're not good enough. Because you don't believe that you can have this eternal life because you have such a past that you don't think you can be someone that you're not right now because you've been this person all along. It's just so deep. It said even people in the room begin to believe. Do you believe that you can experience truth? I want to challenge you with this this morning to start believing the truth. Don't believe a lie to such a point that it becomes truth in your life. Believe the truth. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that your word is active and living. We thank you, God, that you impressed upon John to make sure that we knew, that we knew, that we knew, Jesus, you're the Messiah. That regardless of what kind of religious system we find ourselves steeped in and all of the things that have given, been given to us and passed down to us, that this morning we shed those things for truth, the truth that Jesus came, that Jesus died, and that he was resurrected so that we may live forever, that he desires for us to spiritually obey him here so that we can live with him there forever. God, we thank you that this is 
true and that your son says, I tell you the truth. I am the truth. I am. So God, we take a moment this morning and we examine our hearts and we ask ourselves, is there anything that separates us from you? Your idea is son and daughtership. You want us to be your kids. So we ask God, if there's any sin that separates us from you, we want to purge it from our lives. We want to get it out and see that it is a lie. And we're going to exchange it for truth. That's the first step. And how do we do that? We ask for forgiveness and we, and we turn and walk towards you. If there's folks here that may want to do that for the first time, I want you just to just look at me with your eyes. And then as soon as we lock eyes, just look back down. First time, you've never done this before, and you realize, I really want to give my heart to the Lord in this way. Anybody? Okay? All right. Okay? Okay? All right. And maybe for you, you believed when you were a kid, and it was truth, but somewhere along the way in life, maybe as a young adult, maybe as a grown adult, you began to believe a lie as truth. Deceit took root and became a lie. And you want to re-up your faith and get yourself walking in the right direction again. Just look at me real quick and then we're going to pray and sing together. Okay? Anybody else? Okay. Okay. Alrighty. Okay. God, we can expect so much. I thank you so much, God, that we are in a safe place and that we can experience you. That as Jesus boldly stepped up, boldly stepped up and we see it was so bold that this at this that they picked up stones to stone him that Jesus was so bold with this answer of I am he was willing to die even in that moment but God didn't want him to go yet help us to be this bold in our faith to continue to walk in it that regardless, as, as people try to throw stones at our faith and our belief in you, that we will stand in that truth and not waver. I thank you, God, that you are in the business of salvation. That's why you sent your only begotten son. That a bunch of rules and laws were not enough, but his love was greater. And we thank you for allowing us to experience that this morning. We thank you for it. So, Lord, today... We stand victorious as we get ready to praise you for who you are. And we thank you, God, that you are a God of seasons and that you can bring change to our lives and that you can make things new. Even yesterday, God, as we breathe different air than we've breathed for quite a while, we realize that you are a God of change and a God of seasons and that things can be different. And today, they are. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Please stand with me this morning. We're going to conclude. If you need prayer for anything at any point, please slide up at any time. Or as folks leave, you may feel more comfortable to come up then. But uh, sing with us. Songs we sing, we still lift our praises.